if you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 6. Four of you do, so let's do this. It's summer, five of you do. Okay, it's summer. We are in a series about prayer, um, specifically the Lord's Prayer. So if you're just joining us, we started last week, a little bit of an intro. Last week, we talked about this idea that uh, for most of us, prayer is actually a weak point in our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's actually this spot in us that is, um, maybe it's confusing. Uh, You may be uh, the kind of person that uh, maybe you're a little skeptical about this idea of prayer. Uh, maybe there was a time in your life that, that was really important to you, and, and somewhere along the way, you've just kind of maybe gotten a little jaded or a little frustrated. Um, maybe you're like me, and you're a very distracted person, and there's always something else you could be doing or reading or watching or uh, numbing yourself off to. Uh, but the, the reality is, I think for a lot of us, prayer is a weak point. And it doesn't, this, this whole conversation we're having isn't meant to be something that is like guilting or shaming or here's what you should be doing and um, here's where you need to be by, you know, next month or next year. No, no, we're just having a conversation because the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And of all the things in all four Gospels that Jesus did, Jesus taught, Jesus healed, Jesus did all this amazing stuff. The only thing that we have on record as the disciples specifically asking Jesus to teach them was how to pray. And I think it's because they, this is just my guess, they started to catch some things from Jesus. They started to understand that all of everything that Jesus did was rooted in prayer, was rooted in this relationship he had with the Father. And so we're going to jump into, um, last week we talked about Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk today a little bit about Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is a little longer. But we're going to set it up with what comes before it. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So what's interesting here is Jesus uses the, the, the word father as the moniker, as the direction for our prayer. And, and for many of us in this room, we're pretty familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And I think actually 
for many of us in this room, we're probably too familiar with it, meaning it has become something just in our lives that we just know and we've heard. And But when you sit with this for a while, maybe you spend some time with this like we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks, my hope is that it has a whole new life and freshness for you. Interesting here, Jesus, according to Jesus, he lists a couple different ways to pray. Earlier on, he talks about don't pray like hypocrites. And and we sometimes get that confused with kind of our version of the word hypocrite. His version of the word hypocrite is those who play act and they would put on masks and pretend to be something. And so that's a little bit like ours, but it, it was a different nuance for him. And then he says, don't pray like the pagans. And for us, pagans, and, and for what Jesus was saying, is a couple different versions of that. Um, you might have a different version of what a pagan is in your mind. Um, Jesus was not saying irreligious people. He wasn't saying don't pray like vile, irreligious, skeptical people who, you know, sleep in on Sundays and look for brunch spots. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, don't pray like those people who are praying to their pagan gods. And, and we'll get into what that looks like. Um, he says, but pray, pray to your father. And, and ultimately what Jesus, I think, is doing is saying there's kind of a dividing line down the center of human history, down the center of humanity. And on the one side, you've got a way of praying that is about what we bring to the table. And on the other side, you have a way of praying that's about what we can't bring to the table. Meaning Jesus is saying, for those of you who pray like pagans, it's this idea of how our words come out, how eloquent they are, um, how, how uh, emotional and pleading they are. And maybe there's some certain like formula to it. And the other side of it is pray to your father who loves you. And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to talk about this idea that many of us have. Some of us are, are distracted when we pray. Some of us are skeptical when we pray. But I think for a lot of us, we struggle with the version of God that's in our mind. Some of us struggle with who God actually is. And when we get that right, I think we're going to find that our prayer is a whole different ballgame. See, in verse 7 and 8, Jesus is actually saying how we approach God, how we approach God, and if we approach God as Father, or do we approach God as something else, someone else? And there's two different reasons behind this. There's like the, the pagan prayer that Jesus lines out, and then there's the apprentice prayer. For example, when you and I approach anyone in our lives, okay, for anything, if we approach anybody in our lives for like some sort of a, an exchange, you and I make implicit assumptions about that relationship. And you and I have some basis for those assumptions. So intuitively, okay, the basis of those um, assumptions determines the level of the exchange, okay? So for instance, if you were to travel for the first time ever to New York City, Never been, anybody not been to New York City? Okay, because I haven't either. So, um, I mean, I landed at LaGuardia and then 
went somewhere else, but I've never been in <laughs> New York City. And so if you go to New York City for the first time, chances are you're going to ride the subway and you might be confused about the subway. So it, a couple of things. So if you're standing on the subway platform, there's just a couple ways you can communicate with people without it being weird. You can ask things like, does this train go to blank, blank, blank? And they would probably respond, yeah, or no, you're totally in the wrong platform. You can't do much more than that. Remember when you used to ask people for the time? Remember that? Like in the 90s, before you had a computer in your pocket, you used to ask people for the time all the time. I can't do, really do that anymore. But, you know, this idea that, like, you can ask people for certain basic things like directions, you can't, based on your not knowing that person, the basis of your relationship, you can't ask them much more personal things, right? You can't ask them for a bite of whatever they're eating because they don't know you. The basis of your relationship dictates the level of the interaction or the exchange, right? And so the, the important thing behind that is, for instance, like, I remember eating with a group of people at a restaurant. I was, I was part of a gathering of things. And the person next to me, I didn't even know their name. And they reached over and took food off my plate. Like, that's not right. That's weird. That's like a weird interaction. And so what Jesus is setting up is this. Fundamentally, there are two ways to go to God. There are two ways to go to God. To, to go to God. And they're similar to the ways we go to each other and we interact in our lives. Okay? So think about it. You could go to God like a business relationship, like for some sort of an exchange of goods and services. The business relationship is like, I have something for you, you have something for me, right? And we have this relationship with people all the time. It's based off your performance. If you perform for me, perform for you. The second way we can go to people, and obviously there's gradations of this in our life, is more of a family relationship. Family relationship is a little different. Instead of what I do for you, what I exchange with you, it's, it's, it's about what I am to you. It's about commitment. It's about a permanent, committed relationship. And there's two ways, for instance, there's two ways to live in a house. So for some of you in the room, you live in a house that you rent. And I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but maybe, maybe you rent an apartment or you rent a home and you have a relationship with your landlord, right? And a landlord-renter or a landlord-border relationship is what? Well, the landlord has part of the relationship, right? The landlord has certain rules and expectations they have to live up to, meaning if the furnace goes out, they're going to fix it. If, you know, all those kinds of things. They're there to fix things and hold up their end of the agreement. And you, as the renter or the boarder, actually have an agreement too. It's to pay your rent on time, right? And to, you know, not trash the place. And so many of us have this view of God as a landlord. And what Paul, I mean, what Jesus is saying is that, that, as, as a, as a it's this pagan prayer is actually this idea of I'm coming to God to kind of convince God to do what I think God should do 
or convince God that I deserve something that I don't have. And Jesus says, no, I want you to show up and call God Father. I want you to see God as your father, as someone who is loves you and has good intentions for you. A business relationship is conditional. A family relationship is moving more and more towards unconditional, meaning for some of us in the room, you have family members that despite their behavior and despite their difficulty in relationship, you still maintain a relationship with them. Why? Because they're family. And if they weren't family, you probably wouldn't maintain a relationship with them, right? And you're, don't elbow people next to you. I'm just saying. Or think about this. Think about um, supervising somebody at work. Maybe you're in the level, uh, a management level at work and you have a friend of yours that is under your management. And that can get really weird, right? Because you have a relationship with them that is also boss and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And then there's this weird f- friendship dynamic. Some of you, maybe you live at home or you live, uh, you have uh, kids that live under your roof. And it's this idea, the difference is um, with a landlord relationship, if, if you perform, you will be accepted. Meaning if you pay your rent, you will be accepted. If you don't trash the place, you will be accepted. If you hold up your end of the bargain, you will be accepted. And in a family situation, it's different. Since you're accepted, then you perform. Since you're accepted, then you're a part. Now, here's the thing. You can either approach God as a business on a business basis or on a family basis is what Jesus is getting at. And he, he goes through this idea of babbling. Um, that actually, that Greek word is, an em- is basically saying, you just string a whole bunch of empty words together. And then he says, he says many words. The word many actually for in our, in our reading is actually the word for anxious. Jesus says, you string a bunch of anxious, empty words together to try to get what you want. And so the big question for us this morning is if you see your relationship with God as a business relationship, what happens to you when your prayers aren't answered? What happens in your life? You will either be cold or you'll be anxious. You'll be cold because you'll be saying, I've been paying the rent, right? I've been going to church. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've been doing everything that, that I think I should be doing, and I deserve something from you. Or you'll be anxious, and you'll say, I haven't been living up to my end of the bargain. I haven't been living up to what I think I should be doing and I feel guilty. And and so many of us, I think there's this level of anxiety and guilt in our lives. And I think it's primarily because we view our relationship with God 
we're a boarder, like we're a renter, and not a child of the Father. We see ourselves as having duties. We have duties, and God has duties. And we've got to figure out how to make those work. A religious person would say, be my landlord, I'll do my part, and you do yours, God. And I think this happens a lot more than I think we realize, especially in the American church. The American church is built on this idea, um, and, and if this offends you, okay, um, that we're going to have the American dream, and God's going to help us do that. And we're going to live in the suburbs, and we're going to do this, and we're going to have our jobs, and we're going to have our vacations, we're going to have all that stuff, and then God will um, bless all that. God, that's God's duty, right? Or do we view our relationship with God as he is our father and that we're not worthy? And on the basis of what Jesus has done, he, he's opened a way for us to be in the family of God. Unconditionally. So the question is, are we coming to God with fear anxiety, and maybe some cold cynicism, or we come into God with like this warm, confident, personal, loving interaction. And I think for many of us, it's easy to fall into fear and anxiety. Is your relationship with God one as a border, or is it one of a child? Jesus says specifically to go to God as father. He doesn't say go to God as king, although he is. He doesn't say to go to God as creator, although he is. He doesn't even say to go to God as friend, although he is. And even in our mindset, like even friendship is kind of a hybrid between business and family, right? Like we even put expectations on our friends for performance in relationships. Families still have this, we can't shake each other quality to them. So when you go to God, our Father, that idea controls everything else about your relationship with God. Is God Father or is God Landlord? John 1.12 says this, this is Jesus. No, it's not Jesus, sorry. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. This idea of being adopted is all through the New Testament. It is beautiful, powerful, life-changing language, the image of adoption. You are given, you and I are given rights to be a part of the family. You and I are given, uh, the, we're, it's not the result of our efforts, it's only the result of the Father's efforts, meaning Adoption language in scripture is very, very vivid. And it's, and it's much different than the adoption concept that you and I understand. Listen to this, a quote from Henry Nouwen. He says this, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved. Therefore, to pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. 
It's a change of legal status. It's not a change of behavior or nature, okay? But a change of legal status, meaning that the father says this, now you are no longer an option. You are here whether you misbehave or not. You are an heir whether you behave or not. You are unconditionally loved. And Jesus says as much in this in John chapter 17. I love this. He says, Father, I want you to love them as you love me, even as you love me. And I love those two words, even as. Because what Jesus is actually praying is that that God would love his followers as much as he loves Jesus. And that is a beautiful picture. So the question is, is it a business relationship or a family relationship? If you want a business relationship with God, you will always be frustrated. It will always frustrate you. And so we start with adoption. And when Paul says in Ephesians 4, it's just, just briefly, you got to check this out. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is the idea of adoption in Paul's mindset. For Paul, Roman adoption was absolutely, that was a really powerful image. For us, it's different. It's a different concept. It's, uh, it's, it's similar in some ways, but different. Adoption in Roman culture was actually called sun placing. That's what it was called to place a son. And it's um, fascinating. And, and, and what you read, when you read into some of the, the, the history of it in Roman culture, the wealthy would adopt, sometimes the wealthy would actually adopt a slave in their household. Now, what people don't realize is about 70% of the Roman world was uh, people were enslaved, slavery of some degree or another. And, 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 and that's based on uh, family of origin and status and race and wealth and, and all the things you had. Maybe you were in slavery to someone because of a debt of your parents or a debt you had. But the wealthy would adopt a slave. They would adopt an orphan or they would even adopt somebody else's kid. And there's record of, of wealthy people uh, coming to uh, someone who was maybe poor or whatever and saying, I will adopt your kid into my household and, and they will have uh, be an heir of mine. And so the, it was always initiated by the father of the household, always. The father would initiate the adoption, okay? The adopted kid shared in the status and the identity and the rank of the family that they went to. Um, and under Roman law, fathers could disown or disname their own children. You could do that. But you could not disown or disname adopted children. So when you were adopted into a Roman family, you were secure, you, were, you had more of a secure status than the, their own biological children. That's how powerful adoption was. What Paul is saying is, is he's using adoption, is, is he's packing this image with security and safety. 
In Roman adoption, if you went from a a slave to a son or a daughter, you went from one family to another, you had a new father, you had a new family, you had a new name, the father had to initiate the adoption and choose you specifically. It was not your choice, but his. You shared in the family's higher status, their identity and their name. You received comfort and assurance. You leave your old family and you start life without with a new one. Your debts were canceled. Meaning if you walked into the relationship with any outstanding debt, they would pay your debt. The father would actually pay off your debt and you could not be disowned. So the image is in all of Paul's writing is that you go from one, if you, if you and I are in Christ, meaning if we've, if we've walked into this relationship with God and we've said, God, you are my father because of what Jesus has done, you go from one kingdom to another. You have a new father and a new family. The father chose you. You share in the father's status with a new identity and a new name. You receive comfort and assurance. You can't be disowned. You leave your old family. Your debts have been canceled and and you are free. And so when Jesus says, come to, when when you pray, pray to the father. What he's saying is God is your father and God has good intentions. question we began to ask last week as we finished is it is could it be that you and I have yet to experience prayer like Jesus like for you and I we come to God with distraction we come to God with a misappropriated perspective we come to God with fear could it be that we come to God And we have yet to experience prayer like Jesus. Listen to what Paul Miller says in his book. What do I lose when I have a praying life? Control, independence. What do I gain? Friendship with God, a quiet heart. The living work of God in the hearts of those I love. The ability to roll back the tide of evil. Essentially, I lose my kingdom and get his. I move from being an independent player to a dependent lover. I move from being an orphan to a child of God. So this morning, my hope is and my prayer is, is that you and I would begin to understand God as father that we've been adopted, that we've been able to, we have a whole different way of approaching God that maybe um, we've learned or maybe out of habit or, or maybe out of just kind of like a tacit understanding of who God is that we've approached him in the past. You can approach God as father. You can approach God as father because you are adopted into his family. Now, for, for those of us in the room that this is, this is difficult language because uh, you grew up with a difficult father figure and, and you had a hard time like maybe wrestling with this idea of God as father, as, as a good father, a father who wants the best for you. Um, this is going to be a journey for you. And it's a journey that I think that you, 
you should really take, that you should actually take um, the, the hard and difficult steps to make that happen. It might come through maybe some therapy that you've got to do. It may come through uh, connecting with people inside the, the church here are, are, are maybe looking up to different people in your life than, than you used to with your father. But it's going to be very difficult to pray to God as father if you don't wrestle with that. But as we walk this journey together, my encouragement for us is that we take those next steps, meaning in your life, go to that place that's just uncomfortable and take the next step. For some of you in this room, spending five or 10 minutes in prayer is, is really a difficult thing. It's hard to do. You don't know where to begin. And I would encourage you to begin with the Lord's Prayer. Slowly, methodically, going line by line through it as we're going to go the next few weeks. We have out on the info counter and, and on our website, we actually have some practices that you can take on in your own life. Um, there's a hard copy out there and there are downloadable copies. We're always adding to the practices. For some of you, it may be actually putting yourself in a position with people who pray. So on Sunday morning, I know this is going to be really hard for you, especially in the summer, but at 845, there's a group of people that right down the hall pray every Sunday morning, and they would love to have you. And you don't have to pray out loud. You can just be there. You can listen to people pray. They're not there to entertain each other, not there to one-up each other in prayer. They're actually people who have come to believe that God is Father, and he has good intentions for us. And so you can join them on that. There's a prayer gathering coming up. I think it's June 12th. And so this morning, what I want to do is just take a couple moments and be still and be quiet and let your heart begin to absorb this idea, this concept that God is a good, good father before we come to the table.